0: No Baller, my name is Chris Rawl, and it is Tuesday, June 22nd on today's show, a postmortem on the 2021 season for the Utah Jazz. You can find this show on the Beehive TV app. Go and download it on any platform that you would like. Help spread the word about No Baller and about the app itself, uh, please and thank you. We will start as we always start, with one reason why gambling should be legal in Utah. Uh, As listeners of this show know, I'm not in a very good place with ice hockey right now. Uh, The wounds are still very strong from the Colorado Avalanche being eliminated last round. And I haven't been able to muster up the courage to watch anything in the conference finals. Uh, And like a person coming out of a really bad marriage, I'm trying to dip my toe slowly back in the water to try and find things that I love about this, this entity. And so last night, I say to myself, oh, the Islanders have treated me well in a gambling respect. They're playing game five against the Lightning. I can't watch it because, again, the wounds are still too raw. But I'm willing to bet the Islanders plus 160 because they've treated me well. I like their style of play and how it translates into the playoffs. I'll place a bet, and I can just follow along periodically on my phone. And that'll be a good way of rekindling uh, my old flame. Uh, (laughs) And that's... That's not how it played out, because the Islanders, they got their ass kicked all over the ice, and they lost 8-0. It was just uh, the universe giving me 54 thumbs down as to why I should still be into ice hockey after the Avalanche lost. So why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it's a simple reminder that 99.9% of the time, sports will always break your heart. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at traegergrills.com. The Utah Jazz season is over. It ended on Friday night in Game 6 against the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I've had multiple days to uh, kind of think about the loss itself um, and some of the storylines and some of the takeaways that I have about this team uh, from the regular season and from the playoffs itself. Uh, we'll start with kind of the emotion that goes into stuff like this because it's one of my favorite things to talk about, uh, and it's a lot harder to deal with when you're on the losing side of things Th- this series, uh, and these playoffs in general have had it all when it comes to emotional swings and the, the jazz clippers was no different this year, wide open NBA title race. And every team that existed in the second round talked itself into having a legitimate chance. And the more that the games were being played, uh, I think people leaned even harder into that idea because injuries were popping up and uh, COVID things were popping up and just all of the random stuff that normally happens within basketball games were popping up. And so you had a collection of teams that have not had success, uh, not won titles, or if they had, had not won them in a very long time. And they were finding this hope and this belief uh, in their own franchise. So... The Jazz go up 2-0 in the series. They lose games three and four. Going back to Utah for game five. The morning of that day, um, I'm getting ready to go up to the game and the Kawhi Leonard news hits. He's out for this game. He's doubtful for the rest of the series. And every Jazz fan took a deep breath and said, okay, uh, things are falling into place. Uh, We obviously don't wish an injury on Kawhi Leonard, but now that it's there... The door is open, you know, go walk through it. You're in the conference finals playing against the Suns team that won't have Chris Paul for who knows how much time because he's in COVID protocol. There's a lot of opportunity waiting there. Instead, the Jazz, uh, they lose game five against the Kualis Clippers. And after that game, walking out, I go, there's no possible way that anything could happen in a game six or a game seven that would sink me lower emotionally. I'm prepared for it. You know, the end is near. I've accepted it. Uh, Hopefully the Jazz win. But if they don't, I've sensed this coming on. They've lost three straight games. It just seems like there's something out there that now doesn't want them to win. And, uh, And I'm not going to be as invested emotionally as I normally am. And then game six happens and somehow the Jazz find a way because they go up by 25 points in the second half of that game and the wheels fall completely off. And that second half of that game, it's about as helpless and as frustrated as you will ever feel as a fan in any year, much less a year like this, where it's so wide open that it's almost hard to process as an NBA fan, a sport that usually has clearly defined contenders and you can pick from a small pool who the NBA champion will be. This year is not that case. That's part of what made this loss uh, within game six and within the series So frustrating and maddening um, and also has caused somewhat of an identity crisis with the jazz and uh, these two conflicting things, the regular season jazz versus playoff jazz. So we pull back and look at a bigger picture. You know, how do you make sense of what occurred in the regular season for Utah versus what occurred in the playoffs for Utah? Uh, And is the gap between these two teams, the regular season Jazz and the playoff Jazz, is as wide as it seems. We're going to start with a quote from Bobby Marks of ESPN uh, about this very topic. Depending on your point of view, the 2020-2021 season for the Utah Jazz was either a success or a disappointment. The successful perspective would point to the fact that Utah finished with the best regular season record in the NBA and advanced one round further in the postseason than the team did a year ago. The disappointing part was that Utah failed to capitalize on an injury to LA Clippers star Kawhi Leonard, one that seemed to open the door for the team's first conference finals appearance since 2007, end quote. So we know what happened in the regular season. Uh, the Jazz finished with a 52-20 record, best in basketball. Finished with a net rating of plus 9.3 points per 100 possessions, Best net rating in basketball. Uh, According to net rating, they had the third-ranked offense and the fourth-ranked defense. Um, Well-rounded team that did a lot of things incredibly well throughout the course of the regular season. And their record reflected that. And it was a very enjoyable team to watch within uh, these 72 games. One night, they'd bomb me out from three-point land. One night they'd snuff you out on defense uh, and Mitchell's having these incredible games and then Conley would and then Bogdanovich would take a turn and Clarkson and Ingles and and there was just a lot of really cool performances that went into the course of this regular season Uh, and the question coming into the playoffs is one that has plagued the Jazz the last few years. Is this style of play sustainable in the playoffs Uh, and the Jazz have undergone somewhat of a transformation. They've shifted from a defense first team to a team that I I think trusts in their offense more than anything. And they've made personnel moves that reflect that rather than relying upon the sole scoring and creation of Donovan Mitchell, as they've had to in the past few years, uh, they've gone out and gotten Clarkson and Bogdanovich and Conley to try and alleviate some of his responsibilities. And the jazz offense this year was phenomenal. Um, And that carried over in large part into the playoffs. They play the Memphis Grizzlies in round one. And the Jazz defense struggles somewhat. But their offense more than makes up for it. They lose game one. Mitchell sits. The next four games they win. Uh, Mike Conley plays phenomenally. He's one of, if not the best player in the series over the remaining four games there. And unfortunately, he gets injured in Game 5. He feels his hamstring pop in the second quarter. He doesn't come back. And that shelves him for the first five games of the Clippers series. Um, Big turning point in the Jazz season. So we get to the Clippers series. Um, And the Jazz play two incredible games at home to go up 2-0. Two very memorable games. Uh, that I won't forget, uh, being in the crowd at both of them. Game one was about as enjoyable a basketball game as I've intended in person. Uh, First game back from the pandemic with max capacity and people were just thirsting for that type of atmosphere and they got it. Mitchell's balling out in the second half. Jazz are making all the hustle plays uh, and it was just one of those nights that you don't forget when you're there or when you're watching at home. We transitioned to L.A., and the Jazz get their doors blown off in 3-4. and four. George and Kawhi are the best players on the court, uh, and that star combination overwhelms Utah. Jazz get small balled to death in games 5 and 6, with no Kawhi Leonard, which is what made it so jarring, uh, and if you're a Jazz fan, so depressing. And if you are the Jazz, it's what's kind of thrown you into a, a period of reflection that I'm not sure if answers exist especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Terrence Mann scores 39 points in that closeout game. A dude who probably most NBA fans didn't even know going into the playoffs, who played uh, great spot minutes in Game 7 against Dallas and and had a moment here and there within the Clippers series, but started in place of Kawhi in Game 5 and 6. Had one of the biggest plays in Game 5, the and one half-dunk over Rudy Gobert with about two minutes to go in that game, and then just went ballistic in game six out of the blue. Um, the Jazz blow, that aforementioned 25-point second-half lead, uh, and it's about as low as a franchise can sink that had legitimate title hopes. We've seen some incredible flame-outs and just teams going through identity crises as, as they lose. Uh, the Sixers come to mind most recently, They blow to, uh, I think, an 18-point lead in Game 4 against Atlanta and then a 26-point lead in Game 5 against Atlanta. Uh, And I thought that that would be the craziest flame-out going on. And then the Jazz, you know, 25 points up in second half of Game 6, they throw their hat into the ring. And part of what makes that so frustrating is it's one thing to get mashed on by the star combination of Quine George as they did in Games 3 and 4. That's a lot easier to swallow because sometimes you just get bested by the best players in the league. It's a lot harder to get smoked by Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris as they were in games five and six. That's what will really throw you for a loop. Um, so there are two things that really come out of the playoffs for me when, when I've had time to think about this. Uh, and I always try to balance out the negative side with the positive side. And so I want to talk about one positive and one negative. Uh, the positive revelation being Donovan Mitchell continuing to get better as a scorer. Something that, it, it really continues to blow my mind. Because each step of the way in the playoffs for his career, this is now his fourth playoffs that he's been a part of the NBA, and it just seems like each year he is getting better uh, and doing things that I don't really, I, or I didn't think were possible. This year he averages 32 points per game in the playoffs, Uh, there's a long list of incredible performances within the 11 games or 10 games that he played, considering he missed the first game of the Memphis series. There's a long list of incredible performances that he had within that. Uh, You know, I talk about the second half of game one, that's about as good as you're going to play as an offensive player. And he doubles down on that with the first half of game two, where he, he does the exact same thing. He's scoring 25 points. Uh, And the Clippers know it's coming and they're powerless to stop him. Even in game six, uh, with the Jazz falling out, he finishes with 39 points, nine rebounds, nine assists, and nine made threes. Uh, The first player in the history of the NBA in the playoffs to have that particular stat line. Um, Stunning, truly stunning stuff. (laughs) In the Nuggets series last year, I kept kind of waiting for him to slow down and that never happened. And this year he's coming out and he's got the ankle injury and he's still balling out in uh, minutes restrictions against Memphis. And then he's hobbling around the court off and on against the Clippers. And they know that he's the person who is going to have to score and create the vast majority of Utah's offense without Conley. And still, even against Kawhi Leonard or against Paul George or against all of these small switchable players, your Marcus Morris is your Nick Batum's. He's still scoring 30 plus points a game. Uh, and doing it in just an electric manner. Really incredible stuff. Uh, And and one of the things that if you're looking for hope for the future, this would be the number one area that as a Jazz fan I would look at and say we have a proven playoff performer uh, who can still grow and who has shown that he's more than willing to put in the time and the effort to grow in the now nuanced areas that he can still get better on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and that's something that you can look at and say, okay, we can build a championship contender around something like this. I want to read a quote from Tony Jones of The Athletic. Donovan Mitchell took another substantial step in his development. We knew he was a star. What we didn't know was whether he was simply a nice volume scorer or someone who can truly carry a team. That question should never arise again. Mitchell projects to be one of the very best offensive players in the league in his prime. He's the killer offensive talent that title contenders can be built around. That much is clear. Mitchell is a unique and elite talent, and the Jazz should be in, at the very least, good position for as long as he's in a Utah uniform. End quote. It's crazy to think that he is years away from getting to his prime, something that this quote reminds me of. Uh, the stuff he's doing right now, it, its you see a new stat every game where they go, oh, look at Mitchell's last 15 playoff games. The only people who've done this are LeBron and MJ. It's its the greats of all time. And he's still in his early 20s, and he still has room to grow. So the Jazz, they, they lose this year, uh, and that sucks. At the same time, when you're extracting positives from this season, The main one that you would point to is this. Uh, We have a a singular talent that we can build around that, on the highest possible stage, has already proven what I do works, and hopefully that's only going to get better. On the flip side of things, uh, the uncomfortable revelation of the playoffs uh, and what I consider to be an identity crisis of sorts for the Jazz, their defense. Uh, and how they continue to struggle on that side of the ball in the playoffs. I mentioned at the top, uh, fourth-ranked offense or fourth-ranked defense in the regular season, according to net rating. Uh, and within the regular season of the Gobert era, they've constantly been floating in that area, uh, top-five defense within the regular season. And that has not been the case within the playoffs. That's been a continual knock against the Jazz. And there's always been some truth to it, but trying to determine how much... Has been hard to do uh, in the last two years it's been less hard to do uh, their numbers and their performances staring the jazz and their fans in the face that say the way the jazz play basketball on the defensive side it's really hard to be successful in the playoffs doing that uh, i mentioned the conley injury and that's a great what if for the jazz on the offensive side of the ball and what he could have brought within this clipper series Uh, What makes the defensive struggles so alarming and glaring is that he doesn't bring anything on that side of the ball for what Utah is trying to do. So there's nothing that you can really look at within the Memphis series first and really within the Clippers series that you go, well, you know, if we just had this player or this thing, there's nothing like that. Uh, The Jazz have to now look in the mirror and say, what is wrong with us on that side of the ball and what can be changed, if anything? I want to read a quote from Jonathan Charks of The Ringer. The Jazz are normally a great defensive team due to the presence of Gobert, a three-time defensive player of the year, at the front of the rim. There's no center who's better at sealing off the lane and turning it into a no-fly zone. But that didn't matter against the Clippers because of their small ball lineups, with five three-point shooters on the floor, forcing Gobert to extend out on the perimeter and removing the extra layer of protection that he normally provides for everyone else. Los Angeles stuck to its spread it out plan even without Kawhi, turning the keys over to Paul George and running everything through him. It's not that Gobert can't move his feet in space. The viral videos of Steph Curry dancing around him in the 2017 playoffs are misleading. He's a good athlete whose monstrous seven foot nine wingspan allows him to impact shots anywhere on the floor. The problem is that he can't be a one-man defense if he's stationed near the three-point line. Utah built its team around the idea that Gobert could cover for the defensive weaknesses of the perimeter players around him. Take him out of the paint and that house of cards collapses. End quote. The Clippers annihilated the Jazz uh, on when the the Clippers were playing offense, they annihilated Utah. Their offensive rating for the series in six games was 130.1 which would have been far and away the very best mark in the league this season. Um, The last four games of the series, all won by the Clippers. Their offensive rating was 148.5, 127.9, 130.4, and 142.0. So that's points per 100 possessions. Uh, The best team in basketball this year was at 118 points per 100 possessions. So the Clippers are playing far and away... Uh, As good as an offense could possibly play against a Jazz defense that in the regular season averaged, uh, they gave up an average of 108 points per 100 possessions. That is alarming to say the very least. More so when you look at those numbers and the first two of them, 148.5 and 127.9, occurred with no Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Paul George and Terrence Mann and Nick Batum and Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris. Uh, Paul George, great player in his own right, and a lot of players that you would never look at and say, this is an offense that should just decimate a defense that values itself as being good. And yet that is what we watched. Uh, The second half of game six was, I I mean, you just, you, you can't, wash that out of your eyes. You can't wash that out of your brain. It was just a steady diet of open threes and attacks at the rim. Uh, Five three-point shooters on the floor, just causing the Jazz defense to fold up like a cheap tent, and they were powerless to stop the Clippers from doing anything. You think back to last year, the Jazz went through similar struggles against a different style of offense the Denver Nuggets, in their seven-game series, they had an offensive rating of 119.6 in that series. Again, that would be the very best offense in basketball over the course of those seven games. That's, again, problematic. Uh, The last two playoff series losses, the Jazz defense gets torched. In the Clippers series, it's by a small ball, five-out lineup. And in the Nuggets series, it's against a steady diet of pick and rolls between an uber-talented big man, Nikola Jokic, the MVP of basketball this year, and an uber-talented point guard, Jamal Murray, who gave the Jazz fits and who drove a lot of Jazz fans to insanity because he really shined a light on this weakness on the perimeter, uh, this inability of any Jazz wing defender to try and stay with the very best Uh, talents with the ball in their hands. Murray torched him in that series. And in the Clippers series, uh, it was just a long list of people taking turns. Kawhi, George, Reggie Jackson, go down the list. Um, If you're the Jazz and you watch the second half of game six against the Clippers, there's there's no way that you can't look at yourself and go through some sort of identity crisis because every shot seemed to be wide open. As every perimeter player was blown by, uh, and as Gobert was caught between a rock and a hard place of trying to close out on a wide open three point shooter in the opposite corner, or hang around the point, or hang around the paint and try to cover up for Ingles getting blown by, or Bogdanovich, or Royce O'Neal, or Clarkson, or Mitchell, or Conley, uh, and what that created was just wide open threes in the opposite corner, or layups at the hoop. That's how the Clippers scored 81 points in the second half. Truly an astounding number. 81 points in a game that the Jazz had to win to force a game seven. They gave up that in the second half. Uh, that's, that's a crisis. That's an identity crisis. Uh, more so because moving forward, every team has a blueprint on what to do against this structure of defense in the playoffs. Every team knows what to do moving forward. Uh, you want, you, you go small, you play a five-out system, you stretch out the defense and put the Jazz in a spot that they don't really have the personnel to combat. Try to guard the perimeter, lure Gobert away from the paint, and force a lot of, of below-average perimeter defenders and Gobert who, who can't really guard on the perimeter very well because he's a giant force them to do that. And then on the opposite side of the ball, something that really hurt the jazz within that series. Uh, if you're playing a five out attack, you just switch everything on defense and the jazz running pick and rolls. You just switch over and over. And so Gobert is now essentially turning their offense into four on five because he can't go and, and punish you in the post with an array of moves. So you just switch everything uh, and it clogs up the Utah offense more so than it did in the regular season. That's the blueprint. It exists. Uh, you have tons of film on it. The Clippers did it with limited personnel in the last two games. And I can assure you that every single year in the playoffs, there's going to be a long list of teams who have the skill and the personnel to tap into this strategy. I'm going to read another quote from Jonathan Sharks of The Ringer. There are no easy answers for the Jazz. They have swung between having too many limited offensive players in their supporting cast to having too many limited defensive players without finding a happy medium. But there's a good reason for that. Two-way wings like Kawhi and George are the most valuable players in the league. A title team needs scoring, three-point shooting, playmaking, and defense on the perimeter. Utah has spent the past few seasons making trade-offs between those skills because so few players can check all of those boxes. Goes on to say, The good news for Utah is Mitchell's contract gives the team time to figure it out. His five-year extension kicks in next season. They can reinvent themselves one or two more times before they have to worry about him leaving in free agency. But any reinventions won't mean anything if they don't include two-way wings. The leap from good to great is the hardest to make in the NBA. The Jazz thought they had made the jump this season, but they were just running in place. End quote. Losses are never easy to swallow uh, within the playoffs. This year more than ever. I I just can't get over uh, this NBA season in general as we've watched it play out through the playoffs and we're really starting to understand that a very flawed team is going to win the championship and this NBA title race is as wide open as any race of my lifetime. Uh, That makes... A series loss in a year like this so tough to stomach or to stomach because even for a team like the Jazz, which yeah, there are noticeable flaws right now on the defensive side of the ball within the playoffs. Even with that factored in, you still say we had a 25-point lead in Game Six in the second half. Uh, we close that out. We go to Game Seven. Who knows what happens? If we're in the Conference Finals, like you just never really know in, in a year like this. A flawed team will win a championship. Uh, If you're a Jazz fan, even knowing all of these uh, things that happen and the way that teams can exploit the Jazz, you still go, it could have been us there. You know, that's what this NBA season is all about. It could have been us. A lot of teams are sitting at home thinking that. And three more are going to join them before the champion is actually decided. Uh, Even more so for the Jazz losses are even harder to swallow when they call your identity into question because the jazz have structured themselves in a way on the defensive side of the ball that uh, I I don't know how sustainable it is or a team that is trying to make itself a, a title contender and make that path easier. You know, can you continue to structure a defense around one elite big man and a bunch of middling wings especially within the playoffs when most teams are equipped with the skill and the personnel to go small and to hammer you in a way that the Clippers did, even without Kawhi. On the other side, uh, the big question that the Jazz are going to have to ask this offseason, can your offense be heavily reliant upon the secondary scoring and creation of a 33-year-old point guard with hamstring injuries? Um, The Jazz have a decision to make with Conley uh, as he hits free agency. How much money would they be willing to put into him? Uh, how much How much can you actually rely upon a guy who throughout his career has just been really hit or miss for whether or not he can be on the floor? When he's on the floor, he's great. Uh, and I love his basketball game. But this year, call it injury luck, call it whatever you will, he wasn't there when the Jazz needed him. Uh, and that was a big problem on offense, especially as the series wore on and the Clippers... Honed in on their defensive strategy with Mitchell and said, We got to try and get the ball out of his hands and make someone else hurt us. That's when Conley really would have been valuable. Uh, and that's what, unfortunately, the Jazz get this year for relying upon him as a secondary scoring creator. Uh, you got the hamstring injury version of him, which sucks, but it's also something you have to evaluate moving forward. Um, so now we go to the offseason and we begin the process of self evaluation for the Utah Jazz. You know, you find what can be fixed and you fix it. Um, You find what can't be fixed and you accept that and you pick yourself up and you try to be better the following year. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts, you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.